everyone and welcome back to this third episode of my PTSD podcast. In previous episodes, we discussed what PTSD is, criteria for diagnosis, and treatment. And today, I'd like to touch base on all the surrounding issues with PTSD, starting with the controversies on the definition and the criteria. There are an abundant amount of concerns and arguments revolving around defined as threat or injury, even doubting the need for it in the definition of PTSD. After doing some research, I became aware of an ongoing controversy relating to how PTSD is diagnosed. As stated in the DSM-5, a PTSD diagnosis requires a person to have experienced a traumatic event but data has seemed to indicate that some people can actually experience PTSD-like symptoms even in the absence of an identifiable criterion A trauma. So as a result, there's a large group who actually think this reveals a deep flaw in our diagnostic criterion for PTSD. For a more in-depth summary of this controversy, you can go ahead and check out Rosen Spitzer MOQ online for the full article. I could go on all day to speak about all the ongoing controversies there is on PTSD. And there are many advocates that are worried that PTSD is underdiagnosed and undertreated. The fact is that in addition to having to be exposed to a traumatic event, one must also have a qualifying exposure to that trauma. Examples are direct personal, witnessing of trauma to others, an indirect exposure through trauma experience of either a family member, a close friend, or anyone who one is just simply close with. It was quite interesting to know that a lot of commenters have actually argued and said that the third type of exposure that I just mentioned, which is indirect, um, they actually said that they should be removed from the DSM-5, but to this day, it still remains. A fourth type of exposure has actually been added which includes repeated or extreme exposure to aversive details of traumatic events. So this fourth type of exposure actually goes very hand in hand with individuals who have encountered very severe consequences like people who are in the military or an example that I actually found online was forensic child abuse investigators. The DSM has actually had so many revisions within all these years And it wasn't actually till 2013 that the biggest change of all occurred, making PTSD no longer classified actually as an anxiety disorder. And it's actually now um, classified as a trauma and stressor related disorder. Another big change that actually stood out to me was that witnessing an event was actually no longer classified as a traumatic stressor unless the individual was actually physically present there. So to put this into simpler words, um, electronic media, TV, movies, pictures, all of that no longer applied as criteria, which to me seems pretty understandable and, you know, on point because that just allows the assessment of PTSD to be more accurate, in my opinion. So an example I actually found online showed that if we were actually to count these media reports, like, for example, when 9-11 happened and everybody witnessed this traumatic event happening over the news, allowing and accepting and counting these media reports as trauma would permit basically everybody living in the United States to be trauma exposed. 
I so I actually think it's very very important to know the consequences that an impre- imprecise definition of trauma can be, and how careful we need to be with applying the DSM-5 in order to help prevent inaccurate estimations of PTSD. I was actually reading another article that argued how PTSD has often been overdiagnosed. Richard McNally, who's a psychologist at Harvard University, argued that readjustment issues are actually bound to occur after one experiences traumatic events like war. And he states that clinicians are actually too quick to offer a diagnosis of PTSD when some of the responses from returning veterans are actually part of the naturally hearing process. Major Matt Stevens, two years after returning from duty, still has dreams about his experience in war. And he said, I quote, word for word, one night I dreamt I was bird watching with my wife. When we saw a bird, she would lift her binoculars and I would lift my rifle and watch the bird through the scope. No thought of shooting it, just how I looked at birds. The question Professor McNally asked is, should a dream such as this be considered a disorder or is it a healthy attempt to someone's brain to understand their past and integrate it into their daily life? A study actually in 1990 reported that 31% of veterans experienced PTSD at some point in their lives and that a follow-up study was made that showed clinically significant impairments, the level required for a diagnosis was only found in 11% of those veterans. And then in 2006, a different study showed that out of 12,000 troops, only 4.3% of those soldiers developed symptoms that were calling for a diagnosis. But still, advocates and clinicians still cite the 31% number as a standard rate of PTSD in veterans. So I know that all this information is a lot of take in and, you know, the question is, why, why, is, why does one care if we're misdiagnosing PTSD? In fact, one is actually just facing readjustment issues. It's not about benefiting from some kind of counseling or anything like that. It's just simply the fact that treatment flows from diagnosis. So a treatment cannot be properly given to a client if there isn't an accurate diagnosis. Thank you all for listening in today, and I really hope that this episode today helped shed a bigger light on the importance of a proper diagnosis, as well as the controversies that PTSD has. Thank you all for listening in today, and have a great evening.